So they're going to face devastation. They're going to uh, Amos 5, 4, and 5. They cannot resort to places of worship. Uh, what's been the problem all along? What have they been seeking? False gods, their own way. Who does God say they should seek? Mm -hmm. All right. What is God described as in... Uh, well, let's read verses 8 through 15. Let's read 8 through 15 and we'll talk about some of these things. 8 to 15. Kevin? What's verse 8 talking about? Okay. What else? Braden? What's that? God's power? What did you say, Jonathan? Bob said something about stars. The Pleiades and Orion. He's the creator. The Pleiades and the Orion are, were constellations that were right. looked towards in the sky. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Sandra? Um, basically saying that you should serve the creator and the creation, not yourself. I mean, I think it has that implication. I think right in these verses, though, he's not necessarily calling for a response from them. He's just warning them that this is the God who is uh, going to bring destruction upon you. So if he's the creator, then there's nothing that you can do to thwart what he's doing. Uh, there have been warnings all along the way that, yes, we should pay attention to him as the creator. In these specific verses, he's just saying, here's God, he's great, he's powerful, he's the creator, he's the one who's going to bring judgment. Okay? Anything else from those couple of verses? Yeah, Mary. Uh, well, he seems to be talking about that one of their sins is um, treading down the poor and the uh, needy. Okay. <coughs> yeah, so we see that in verses uh, 10 and 11. 
what's the nature of their sin in addition to those things. So they're, they're taking advantage of the poor. Verse 11, heavy rent on the poor. And it's not so much even the fact that they are um, uh, impl- uh, imposing these heavy burden on the poor, although that is bad enough, but it's the fact of what does it say in the middle part of verse 11? You have built houses of... Right. So you live in stone... It's kind of like you live in stone houses, they live in mud huts, and you're putting this exorbitant rent on them. And the reason that you're living in this fancy house with all of these things is because you are extorting and oppressing them. Okay? Um, And their expectation is that they're going to enjoy the wine from the vineyards they've planted and live in the houses they've made. And God says, no. What else do they do in verses 12 and 13? Amos 5, 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, they're what? Yeah, I, I would say they're, they're perpetrating injustice. They're basically like, uh, they're accepting a bribe so that here's the person who's righteous but doesn't have any money. Uh, here's the person who's poor and doesn't have any money. They have the right in whatever case is being heard. The rich person comes and says, hey, you know what? I'll give you, you know, 10% of what comes out of my vineyard uh, if you just sort of let this slide. They're like, hey, you know what? That sounds good. And then they rule against the person who is actually in the right. And then the response in verse 13, At such a time the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. What response does God call them to then in verse 14 and 15? Okay. Seek what's good. What else? Hate the evil. Okay. What is the expectation if they accomplish justice and if they love good and turn away from evil, what might God do? Forgive them for working. Okay. Be gracious to them. Okay. Uh, someone read uh, 16 to 24. Maybe 16 or 27. Norma? Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord says that, when I shall be in all peace, and they shall say in all the highways, that, that, and they shall call the husband men to mourning, and such as are skillful and in all vineyards shall be wearing, for I will pass through thee, says the Lord. Woe unto you that Uh, yeah, can you go down through 27, please?
So, what do we see in verses 16 and 17? God's coming brings what? Wailing. Okay? Because God's coming is bringing what? Because they're going to be punished. Okay, yeah. So it's like the farmer's job is not to be a professional whaler, right? So they would hire people at funerals to be a professional whaler or mourner. The farmer's job is not to do that, but that's almost like he's got nothing else to do. We're going to press him into the service of mourning and whaling, okay? Um, there's going to be whaling in the vineyards and whaling among the farmers and also the people who are hired professionally to whale because of the destruction God is bringing. There are people apparently who are looking to the day of the Lord in anticipation that it will be good for them. Verse 18. And what does Amos say the day of the Lord will be for them at the end of verse 18? Okay. They're expecting deliverance from the day of the Lord. Verse 19 says it's like if you're running away from a lion and a bear eats you, or you get home and you're like, I'm safe. And then a serpent bites you. Robert? That's a good question. I think either group, it's not going to be the deliverance that they think that it's going to be, at least in the short term. What's God's response to their uh, exercises of worship in 21 and 22? Okay. Didn't God want them to offer sacrifices, though? The law required them to do it, right? So why would God say, I, don't, I reject your festivals and your solemn assemblies and your burnt offerings? Okay, Dina? Okay. Uh, they're also singing praise to him in 23. And then 24, he says, instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a stream. Um, just a quick point of application. Um, it is entirely possible for us to sing songs that are designed in our minds to worship God and for God not to accept them. If we come from an attitude of going our own way and worshiping ourselves, doing what we, we want to do, and then you know, every so often we pop over and we're like, okay, I'm going to worship you here for a little bit, God. God's not going to accept that sort of thing. Um, if we are uh, doing the bare minimum as far as... Um, 
spending a little bit of time in prayer each day, spending a little bit of time thinking about the Bible each day, and then living in a way contrary to what all the things that we're taking in are, are teaching us to be and do. Um, the fact that we're going through these exercises is not acceptable to God. Norma? Mm -hmm. Look at 25 through 27. What's, the, what's a big part of the reason God's not accepting their worship? Mary? Okay, attributing God's power to false gods is perhaps one of the most grievous forms of blasphemy there is. People argue about what the unpardonable sin is in the New Testament, but it seems in context to be the fact that the Pharisees attributed Jesus' miracles to Satan's power. And um, in a similar sense, God's people here are worshiping essentially demons giving them credit for the, the success, whatever it looks like that they have, instead of acknowledging that it's been God's power all along. Any thoughts on chapter 5 before we move on to chapter 6? Yeah. I guess that verse 26 with this key on your star God puts more context with that verse 8 that you made. Yeah, that's the Orion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, another, there's other places where it speaks of idolatry as worshiping all the host of heaven, and a lot of pagan worship involved worshiping gods associated with various celestial bodies and or represented by stars and moons and things like that. Ashtoreth was supposedly a moon goddess, and uh, there was a lot of, you know, so if you see all this thing about like sacred pillars and groves of trees and all that, they would set these places of worship up all throughout the land and the pattern after the Canaanites did. Robert? an interesting thought to consider, yeah. Okay, uh, how about 1 through 7 of chapter 6? Who can read that for us? Evan, thanks. Than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than yours? 
Sucroth, the day of calamity, and would bring near the seat of violence, those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improv uh, improvise the sound of the harp, and like David, have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of the at the head of the exiles, and the sprawlers' banqueting will pass away. Okay, what's going on in these verses? Okay. Good. Any other thoughts? It's fascinating, in a moment when they should be doing what the people of Nineveh did, they're like, you know what, this is a great time to start writing love songs and getting drunk and, you know, having a steak. In terms of priority, that's a very skewed set of priorities. Judgment is looming, so let's have a little party for ourselves. Well, that's unfortunately the sort of blindness that sin leads us into. And it's, it's basically like the people who have not led, the ones who have not led the people in worship of God are going to lead the people as the head of the procession going into exile. So verse 1 in contrast with verse 7. Okay, good thoughts. All right, uh, let's do verses 8 down through 14. Who wants to read that for us? 8 through 14. Hey, Eric, thank you. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts has declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detect his, detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. And it will be if ten men are left in one house, they will die. Then one uncle or his undertaker will lift him up, carry out his bones from the house, and he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, is anyone else with you? And that one will say, no one. 
Then he will answer, Keep quiet, for the name of the Lord is not to be mentioned. For behold, the Lord is going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces and the small house to fragments. Do horses run on the rocks? Or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodbar and say, Have we not by our own strength taken Carnahan for ourselves? For behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God of hosts. And they will afflict you at the entrance of Hamath, the brook of Abara. Okay. What's God's response to the people in verse 8? Continuing with what we've already seen, but okay, interesting. What else? Okay. Notice what it says. It says the Lord has sworn by Himself. So that is a statement of certainty. Fascinating interchange in verses 9 through 11. I'm not entirely sure everything that's going on in verse 10. It's something I wanted to look into a little bit more and didn't get to. Any thoughts on that verse in particular? My thoughts that the study notes say many not killed in battle would die from resulting pestilences, and those would, who would bury the bodies would fear to mention the name of the Lord. As in, like, that it would bring a curse on them or something? I think that's the sense that I had reading the passage, but. It's like, it's like people are trying to escape the judgment. Yeah. If we just don't say God's name, we won't invoke the God that's, you know, despite the fact that he knows all of the things you're doing and the reason that it's all happening is because of things that you clearly had done, you know, superstition and all of that sort of thing is not going to be what delivers you. It's a response of repentance, right? Okay. Uh, is there going to be a... Mm, an unequal distribution of judgment according to verse 11? <coughs> or is everybody going to face it? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do horses run on rocks? Do you plow rocks with oxen? No. So here are two things that you would expect the answer to be no. Then he says you turn justice to poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. So James takes up a similar pattern when he says, uh, should there be a fountain from which there is both sweet and bitter water, yet you speak blessings to God and curses to your fellow man. Like that kind of a sort of an unexpected proverbial sort of statement. Um, 
We already talked about how they've turned justice into poison and righteousness into wormwood, basically by perverting justice and by pretending to be righteous while worshiping idols. Uh, the, uh, that word lodabar just means a th an empty thing or a thing of nothing. So it's almost like you who rejoice in vanity. Have we not by our own strength taken a fortress for ourselves? And God says, you shouldn't be boasting in emptiness and in temporary victories because I'm going to raise up a nation that is going to afflict you. From the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the Arabah, like all throughout the land. Um, someone read uh, 1 through 3 for us. It's chapter 7. Actually, any more thoughts on chapter 6? Pretty straightforward. Okay, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Who wants to read that? Louise, thank you. Okay. Does this remind us of anything? Moses. What's that? Moses. Okay. What else? In what way, Moses? I think I know what you're getting at, but for everyone else. Okay. So Moses intercedes, asks God to spare them. Okay. We see a parallel there. Prophet behaving as an intercessor. What else? Okay. Mm hmm. Okay. Saving a lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. Yeah. And notice how God's response of changing his mind is in direct connection with a a prayer of asking for the hymn to spare the people. Um, it's not just sort of an arbitrary where God says, I'm going to do this. Ah, actually, I'm not. It's in direct response to the prophet pleading on behalf of the people um, along the lines of Moses, because for the sake of God's name among the nations. But the description is in this one and in the next one, Jacob is small, as in restrain your power, so he's not utterly consumed. So let's do uh, 4 through 6. Who wants to read 4 to 6? Okay, Margaret. And the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, please stop or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. And the Lord relented from this plan, too. I will not do that either, said the Father Lord. Okay. What about this one? <coughs> What's that, sorry? Okay. God shows mercy. What else? Bob, you look puzzled or thoughtful. You got anything going on there? 
Jonathan, go ahead. I think God is continually um, pointing out that their sin is still there, and He's trying to confront them over and over again. Yeah, the sin still has to be dealt with. Okay. Reminds me of a line in Psalm 78, he remembered their frame that they were but dust. Okay. God is well aware of our limitations and our weaknesses. Okay, what else? Yeah. Is it just English? Um, I'm curious how the, the verbiage is in the original. Uh, in that it says he changed his mind, because that 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 idea becomes a stumbling block for many in regards to God's sovereignty and His power and His omniscience. So I'm just curious: is that just a? All right. So we're. The note says relented, but that's not the original English. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm looking here to see. So the verb has some various uh some some various parallels would be uh regret, be sorry, console oneself, comfort. Um, it's got a couple of different, uh, like, uh, so there's the concept in language of semantic domains, like there's overlapping orbits of phrases that a given word is tied to. It, so let's say a word like, like tall, right, in English, tall can refer to height, it can refer to a, uh, an exaggeration, as in a tall tale. It can refer to something difficult, as in that's a tall order. Um, so if we look at just the core of the word, it has to do with height. But it has associated meanings that get beyond just the idea of height, but are still tied to that root word. It can't mean just whichever of those we feel like, and it can't mean all of them at once. But it, it is, there are, there's a range of possibilities of what it could mean. So if we take that and think about that in terms of the Hebrew word, some of the ways that that is rendered is the idea of be sorry, move to pity, have compassion, um, comfort oneself or be comforted, be sorry, rue, suffer grief, repent, um, be relieved, ease oneself, um, is kind of some of the different um, kind of the ranges of, of, of the way that it is used. And so um, I think when we see a word that means something like be sorry, we can't understand it in the same way for God as for people because there's verses that clearly say the, the Lord is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent, right? Is that Numbers 23, I think? 
So the general testimony of Scripture is that God does not make mistakes like we do, that he therefore regrets and has to go a different way. But um, I think sometimes in our effort to... Um, Sometimes in our effort to want to defend theological truths about God, we want to maybe redefine what a word means in a given passage because we feel like it's a threat to that. And it doesn't have to be as long as we understand the context of the rest of those things. Uh, in other words, it's okay to, to have the idea in the Bible that God relents or turns from disaster because that's literally what it says. We just have to understand that in the broader context of a God who knows everything is not doing so for the same reasons that you or I do. So I guess I think I would say that I don't think it's inherently a bad translation in that it is trying to accurately reflect, reflect the Hebrew phrase. And God is talking in a way that we can understand. Because if, if we said, if we tried to explain God, uh, God is doing this, and then now God is doing this, without using a phrase like change his mind, what would we say? So, yeah, like I was thinking when you're giving the different meanings, how the word sometimes means show compassion. So if it just said the Lord showed compassion, it wouldn't get across the point that he didn't do it. Right. Yeah. Jonathan? I, I like the, the word relent. The Lord relented about this. Yeah. But at the end of the day, relent and change his mind is getting at the same root idea that at least from our perspective, and in actual fact... At, at a specific moment, God is doing this. At a specific later moment, God is doing this. From our perspective, that means that God has changed his mind. God knew all along that he was going to change his mind. Like, there's all those realities. But I think when we start to try to um, overanalyze that too much, we start to not want to let God be God and understand how it all fits together. We want to try to be the ones that explain it. And so, Jonathan? Okay. Yeah, Eric? The greater context is this, is this, this point is to relent. This point was not to bring about the destruction he's showing Amos. This point is to get Amos to respond show Amos compassion because the whole point is to, to relent. Yeah. Yep. I just think it's one of those things that it's quite remarkable. When we try to start understanding how God's mind works, we quickly get lost because God is not bound by time. So if God's not bound by time and we say that God is doing such and such at a specific point, that really only has reference for us, because for God, I don't think it would be entirely inaccurate to say all points are now, as in he sees them all at the, all at the same time. And we can't even begin to comprehend what that would be like. 
And so we have to think about things sequentially, in logical order, in terms of cause and effect, all of those sorts of things. And I, that doesn't mean that those things are meaningless. It just means for a God who speaks and things happen, you know, they don't have to happen in the same order or by the same mechanisms that it does for us. And so we can marvel at God and, again, go back to Eric's point, God confronts Amos with these things because he wants this response of intercession, sparing the people. And then the third time God does say in verses 7 and 9, I am going to measure the people and the judgment will persist but it will not be a complete consuming by the locust or by the fire, but it is going to be a measuring and a testing and a judgment because this is what they've brought on themselves. So we'll, uh, we'll pick that up a little bit later. There's a fascinating exchange at the end of chapter 7. We'll wait and get to that next week. Probably finish up 7, 8, and 9 next week before we move on to the next book, but uh, we'll wrap up there for today, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths from your word. We pray that you would help us to contemplate them, not to miss the main point that you are a God who calls for repentance, who shows mercy on your people, and before whom we must bow and worship, not thinking we can deceive you, not stubbornly persisting in idolatry and selfishness, but f serving you well. Amen. <laughs>